after getting through a really hard situation only to find that you're stuck in another one? How's your week? What do you do when you're in, the, in those situations? Do you feel like you, hey, I just went through a, a, a grueling situation and now I'm stuck in a, another tough one. I think that's probably how Moses felt in today's text, what we're looking at in our study of Exodus. I wonder if Moses was just starting to feel a big sense of relief. The miracles God worked through him accomplished just what God had, had said they would. And they, uh, Pharaoh said, let Israel go, and they, they're, they're heading out of town. At last, they're on their way out of Egypt. And they, they aren't uh, taking the shorter route. They're going the long route. And Moses probably understands that. He's probably trusting God for that, but he doesn't fully grasp what God's going to do. So we see in, uh, we're, we're looking at chapter 14 today where um, Israel finally is, it comes to the Red Sea. So if you know anything of the story of Moses and, and this story, you've, you know of the Red Sea crossing. If you don't know it, then this is the first time for you to be exposed to it. So I'm going to read the first nine verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihaharath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in, in the land. The, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and, and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with him, with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihaharath in front of Baal Zephon. So join me as I pray. Father, help me to be clear in presenting your word. Help me in my physical weakness with side effects of medications making it hard to speak. So be a strong help for us. Give us open ears, open hearts to your to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God tells Moses to turn back from the way they were going and camp with their backs to the sea. And he's probably wondering, what is up with that? And God tells Moses that when Pharaoh hears about the route they're taking, he will say that Israel is wandering in confusion. They don't know where they, they're lost. They don't know, don't know where they're going. And they have gotten themselves in a jam in the wilderness from which they can't get out. So God says, I'll harden heart, Pharaoh's heart and I'll get glory over him. So God has said again and again, I'm going to get glory out of this. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, that they shall know that I'm the great I am, and they shall know that I'm supreme over the greatest power on the earth at that time. It's like God is using Israel as bait to trap Pharaoh. Sometimes God leads his people into hard places. Have you noticed that? 
into situations that are humanly impossible to escape from which only God can deliver them. Maybe you're in one of those situations right now where God has led you into a place of, of that you can't get out of. You might think that you did something wrong to get there. Now, that's possible because we do make foolish decisions sometimes, and we do get ourselves in messes. But there are times when God providentially places us in the hard situations in which only our only hope for deliverance is through him, the power and mercy of God. Well, and it, it, we see Israel did what God said, so they turned back and camped by the sea. And the next scene, we see Pharaoh and his servants in their staff meeting. So what do they have to say? What were we thinking when we let Israel go? Pharaoh gets his chariot ready, mobilizes his army, and takes 600 of their best chariots and a whole bunch of other chariots as well. And the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he pursues the people of Israel as they are heading defiantly. I wonder if they're thinking, hey, we did this. I wonder if they're starting to feel like, hey, yeah, we, we, we beat Pharaoh. We're, we're great. Like, like when your team wins, you feel like you say, we won. Well, no, you didn't actually win. Uh, they won, but you're for them. So it's, Israel is, is feeling really good right now. So what is it about Pharaoh's heart that is hardened so that he goes after Israel? I mean, really, Pharaoh, do you think the God who so thoroughly overpowered you, who, as the Hebrew says, kicked your hindsight and freed his people, is going to leave them for you to capture and re-enslave? Do you really think you're going to be able to beat this God who so thoroughly beat you? Well, Pharaoh never submitted to Yahweh, so Yahweh is the, the name of Israel's God. So more hardening just makes him more crazy, more delusional. So he thinks, hey, I can do this. So the Egyptians pursue them with the best of their military might and catch up to them at their seaside camp. Pharaoh was like the devil. Even though the devil was decisively defeated at the cross, he still thinks he, he has a right to us. He can't stand the fact that he's been released from his control over us. God disarmed the devil and his troops and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. So don't be surprised when your old enemies, from which Jesus delivered you, pursue you and try to re-enslave you. I noticed that when I came to Christ. I thought, hey, this is great. Freedom. And within weeks, I'm feeling a pullback to some of the old stuff. Like, what went wrong? And the reality is your, your old slave masters don't like to give you up. So they're eager to keep you enslaved. So don't be surprised by that. Sometimes this leads us to, to assume it's impossible to be free. It's like, well, because I, I broke free from those things, they come back, so what, I, I guess there's no hope. Don't buy into that lie. You never have to continue to sin. Christ gives us what, 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 what we need to be free. In Christ, we always have a way out of giving in to sin. Ask Jesus and ask his people for, for help. Don't be surprised by it, but don't give in to it. Don't think, that's who I am, so there's no, there's no other way for me to be. 
because Christ has decisively defeated your enemies. Well, in uh, verses 10 to 14, we see Israel's worst nightmare. So 10 to 14, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is, this, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So the people of Israel are just sitting around the campfire. They're enjoying their freedom, singing the campfire song, the C-A-M-P-F-I-R-E-S-O-N-G song. Some of you know that, huh? They're comparing their plunder. Hey, what'd you get? What, what, what'd you get? So the Egyptians gave them all kinds of good stuff. And they're saying, is it because there's no graves in Egypt? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? We said, hey, it's better for us to stay there anyway. In spite of seeing God's great power, Getting them out of Egypt, they, they have no thought whatsoever that he might deliver them. It's, it doesn't enter their minds that, that he has a plan. God had told Moses he was going to get glory over Pharaoh when he attacked. So Moses could say in verses 13 and 14, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. God has promised that he is for us in Christ. Therefore, nothing and no one can successfully be against us. Lots of things can be against us and and hassle us and, and harm us, but nothing can be successfully ultimately against us. No trial, no distress, no, no sickness, no persecution, no danger or weapons or demonic powers or, or even death itself. Therefore, we can stand firm in faith watching for the saving work of the Lord. He will thwart the purpose of our enemies to destroy us or, or re-enslave us. This doesn't mean that for Christians that God always gets us out of hard situations. He does not always deliver us in this life. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. But nothing can ultimately ruin us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God the love of God in Christ. And that's where we put our hope. In verses 15 through 18, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry, on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. 
when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So God says to Moses, why do you cry to me? So Moses had just given this faith talk, and now he's crying to the Lord. So what's, is there a contradiction there? Well, no, I, I just think Moses is interceding for his people, and he, he doesn't know exactly what God's going to do. He knows God is going to do something. He knows God, he believes God's going to deliver them, but he doesn't know it's going to be parting the Red Sea. Like, that, that's not in the manual about how you get out of trouble, parting the Red Sea. He just doesn't already know that. So he's, he's God, do something. I, I know you're going to do it, so make it clear what, what your plan is. And so he's praying. God says, okay, stop praying. That's enough. Take your staff. Tell the people to go forward. Really? Like toward the sea? Yeah, tell them to walk toward the sea. Okay. Take your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea. So they'll walk through the sea on dry ground. Oh, I should have known that. Yeah, great. I'll do the heart hardening so they will go after the people and I will get glory over Pharaoh and over his military machine. So when do we stand and watch for the God to act? When do we stand and see his saving work? And when, and when do we act in those things that only God can accomplish in his sovereign power? No way could Israel, Israel could defeat the Egyptian army, but they could act in faith in what God told them to do. They could go forward when God tells them to go forward, trusting that God is making a way of salvation for them. So we are hopeless and helpless to save ourselves from sin and get eternal life. You know that, right? You know that we, we can't. There's nothing we can do. We can't work it out. We can't self-improve our, our way into heaven. We cannot save ourselves. But God still tells us, but what you can do is repent, believe in Christ, and be baptized as a, as a response to what I've done for you. You can't accomplish it, but you can respond. Likewise, only God accomplishes our salvation through Christ, but he calls us to repent, believe, and be baptized. In acknowledging only God can save, we, we aren't denying what he commands us to do. Then we see in verse 19 through 29, there's, this is the whole thing of crossing the Red Sea. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, all the king's men couldn't put them together again. Just making sure you're tuned in. And in the morning watch, in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, 
Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the angel of God could be an angel, but it's probably God appearing in an angelic form, just like he did back in the burning bush. So it said the angel of the Lord appeared in the burning bush. And it may be a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. At any rate, God is in the cloud, and he's watching over them, and he's guiding them. So the angel of God seems to be in the pillar of cloud. The cloud moves between the people and the Egyptians. What seems to be happening is the cloud shines light for Israel, and it's dark for the Egyptians. So it keeps them apart, keeps the Egyptians in the dark. And once again, we see that God makes a distinction between Israel and the Egyptians between the children of light and the children of darkness. Moses stretches his hand out over the sea. The Lord pushes back the water with a with an east wind all night and made the sea dry land. So what's incredible is he that, that the wind actually parts the water. So he used wind. He could have just done it, but he, he used the wind all night, starting from the east side and coming to coming to their side, and it's and it makes it dry land, like it's not muddy, it's not sloshy. And the, the water is upheld as walls on each side, so this is incredible. See verses 24 and 25. Again, we might have that on the screen. In their hardness of heart, they don't consider that the same power of God that created this path, can also destroy them. So they think, hey, we can go in after them. The Egyptians will snag him. The Lord looks down throws them into confusion. He causes the chariot wheels to malfunction. Yahweh is able to render the best military technology of the day ineffective. And I apologize for my voice. It's medication side effects. So just be irritated. Don't feel, don't feel sorry for me. Just be irritated. So Pharaoh's and the Egyptians' hardened hearts lead them into a trap of their own violent passions. Like when Emperor Palpatine was trying to kill Luke, and he got so out of hand that um, Darth Vader was able to throw him down and kill him. So that's the same thing. I hope that's helpful. So Moses does his thing again, and the waters return to their normal state in the morning when the Egyptian sun god supposedly is rising in the east as the Egyptians are fleeing into the sea as if they can outrun the water. 
God throws them into the midst of the sea. Egypt's son, God, is no match for, for the Lord. And in verses 28 and 29, uh, there's not one survivor, no survivors. In contrast to the destruction of the Egyptians by the sea, the people of Israel walked through the sea on dry ground. This is, again, it's amazing that he just made totally dry ground. The same waters that are protective walls for God's people, so they were protected by the walls of water, become the destruction for the enemies of God. Like the cross delivers God's people in his defeat of Satan. There's a parallel pattern with the Genesis creation account, so it's intentional. Israel is God's new created people. And so in, in, in Genesis creation, God brings light to the darkness, and he um, separates the, the, the sea from dry land, the water from dry land. So he does the same thing for Israel. Israel is God's new creation. Verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the, the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Moses had said, you're not going to see these Egyptians again. Well, that was half true. They, they just saw them all dead. So it says that the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel sees the great power. It's actually the same word in the Hebrew, the great hand, the great power of God. So they, they see the power of the Egyptians defeated in God's great power, the hand that God used to smack the Egyptians. Israel went from fearing Pharaoh. So back at the beginning of the story, they, they, they're freaking out. They're afraid of Pharaoh. And now they're fearing God. So in a different way, they're afraid of, of, for their lives through the, uh, the Egyptians, but they're fearing in awe of Pharaoh, of, of God, the Lord God, Pharaoh's toast. So their response to God's powerful work of delivering his people and destroying the enemies is that they believe in Yahweh, they believe in the Lord, and his servant Moses, his mediator. So we can respond to God's powerful work of redemption through the death and resurrection of Jesus and be in awe of Christ. I hope we, we can be in awe of Christ this morning. You may not, as you work through your week, you think of Jesus, you may not have time to cultivate a heart of awe of him, but I hope we can do that here this morning as we continue to worship him and be in awe of Christ's great, amazing, saving work that he accomplishes for us. God acts. His power is great. God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea is God's defining work for Israel's birth and identity that will be remembered again and again through Scripture. So through the Psalms, to the prophets again and again, they keep calling, referring back to the, the Exodus. In one sense, the Bible as a whole can be summarized as the story of God's intervening to bring his chosen people out of a foreign, hostile place and into the chosen land. The whole story of the Bible is a story of God's intervening to bring his chosen people out of a foreign, hostile place and into a chosen land. Back to, back to Eden, really. 
That's what it's all about. Restoration to, to paradise with God. So Jesus says in Luke 9, he takes with him Peter and John and James, and they go up to the top of the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. I love how God can just call Moses and Elijah into this meeting. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. And that word departure is in the Greek is exodus. So Jesus is accomplishing his exodus through his death and his resurrection. And his exodus is our exodus out of sin. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul relates Israel's passing through the Red Sea into a new life under God's rule in a new land to what happens to, to us in Christ. So he says in 1 Corinthians 10, I, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in, in the cloud and, and, and in the sea. The Israelites who, were, who experienced the exodus were under the cloud, that is, they were guided and protected by God in the form of the pillar of the cloud, and it was by that guidance that they were passing through the sea. So they're, they're guided by God's cloud. He makes an analogy between what happened to the Israelites and what happens to us in baptism. So by being baptized as Christians, we're giving expression to the fact that he or she in Christ is leaving behind an old way of life, a life of bondage to sin and death, and entering a new mode of existence. We are baptized into Christ's death and are buried, and then we're raised to a new kind of life. So like Israel is baptized into Moses, so to speak, following Moses, coming under his rule and moving into a new land. So is there any connection between God destroying Israel's enemies and what he may do to our enemies? Do you have enemies? Our worst enemy is sin. So that's number one that needs to go. Christ has accomplished in his exodus freeing us from sin so that we can have forgiveness, freedom from sin. We don't get it totally in this life, but it's we, we start becoming more and more free from it, and we in the life to come we will have total freedom from sin. We'll be like Jesus. Our other enemies are the world. That is the system of the world system opposed to God. The devil and death. In Revelation 11, John calls the world system that opposes God and his people, he calls it Egypt. And he also calls it Babylon in Revelation 18. So Babylon was another exile for later on in Israel's subsequent history. It will, like Pharaoh and his army, before them meet a violent end, like a huge millstone thrown into the sea. So the imagery of the sea, Babylon, will be destroyed by the sea. So Egypt, Babylon, world system will be uh, destroyed. Satan's initial defeat on the cross was he had to give up us. So he, he's still active, but he was cut off from having dominion over God's people. So that was his initial sentencing. His final sentencing comes at Christ's return when he will be thrown into the lake of fire. The last enemy is death. It says, for Christ must reign until he's put 
all his enemies under, under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then in Revelation 15, this is the ultimate climax of, of history. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. That's Jesus. So Moses was all about getting to Jesus. So they, they both have a joint song in the final kingdom. Saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. God will be glorified at last, even as he said, I will get glory over Pharaoh, I'll get glory over the Egyptians. He will get glory in his final and full redemption of, of his people and bring, bring, ushering in of his kingdom. He will get glory that he deserves. He will have delivered us from our enemies and into the promised land, the new Eden, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and earth. We can stand in faith that Christ will deliver us from our enemies because our ultimate deliverance from the world, sin, devil, and death is absolutely guaranteed in Christ. We are free to love and serve others in Christ's name. So people are not our enemies. Sin, death, devil, those are enemies. We can serve people in Christ's name. So whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going through, if it looks hopeless, so for my condition, there's no known cure. And I don't have a guarantee it's going to be fixed in this life. But I do have an absolute guarantee that Christ is for me, accomplishing his good pleasure in my life. And he is, his redemptive work is, is good and sure. In this life, it may not mean getting out of every hard circumstance. We know that God is for us in Christ. What our enemies mean for evil, God works for our good. So if you're going through anything today that you feel you're stuck, you're backed up against the Red Sea, uh, God has a way through for you. It may not be getting totally out of the circumstance. It may mean that. But he is, you have Christ with you, Christ for you. Now, one of the things that we're trying to emphasize to the study of Exodus is you're freed to be God's people. And being God's people means you're, you're spreading his redemptive grace in every area of your life, in your home, in your work, in your community. So we want to have the opportunity for you to hear from a couple today, Peter and Heather Kobe, who have kindly agreed to come share how they are uh, ministering to kids in their home.